The Scheffners had their baby on Monday at 1.37 a.m. So, Josephine Rose, so congratulations on that. Okay. Hey guys, Jesus is coming back. You say, oh, you've been saying that, you know, I've been around here for a long time. Listen, it's based upon what we're seeing. I mean, the Lord tells us to look for certain things. You know, it's interesting how people, they say, oh, you know, I don't buy that. I don't. And, and you, you just talk to them for just a few minutes moments ask them probing questions and they won't know how to answer it because they really have zero opinion about it except that it's not going to happen that's their only opinion it's just not going to happen and they really don't have anything to base that on but you know guys we know that things are beginning to move there's probably going to be some more shutdowns come this fall we need to prepare ourselves for that we already see the shortage of food um, in the in the grocery stores, and they're not saying that that's going to get better anytime soon. Gas prices are rising. We're watching our own nation give up its sovereignty, as was just happened a, a few days ago in in different areas. We're watching uh, our president, which you know, guys, we've paid attention to this over the decades. The presidents, the people in the White House that represent the United States of America. Those who bless Israel, Jacob, will be blessed. And we've watched when we've had a president who has blessed Israel. And, and sometimes, sometimes that means just simply staying out of their way, letting them be who they are, you know. But we've also seen when we've had leaders of our country, presidents, that have meddled in the affairs of Israel. And once again, we have a president that's doing so, dividing up. Uh, Jerusalem, the Lord has something very harsh to say toward those that would divide up his land. So we are seeing the signs of the times. We're seeing things line up. So you say, Dan, that just scares me. It shouldn't scare you. It should prepare you. If you know him, if you placed your faith in him, this is something to be excited about because if you're his, he's coming for you before, you know, the disaster, the tragedy, the horrible things that's coming upon this earth. So we need to have our eyes open. We need to be spiritually alert and awake. Chapter 2, our text tonight begins in verse 1, ends in verse 9. If you would follow along, it says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you did not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it or to it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him, that he might fear me. So he feared me, 
and was reverent before my name. The law, or the true instruction, the law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice or unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before the people. Because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. And Father, we pray that we would be a people who learn from the mistakes of others. That we would not be an ignorant people that make the same mistakes over and over again. But that we would look at the scriptures and realize, boy... If they could go astray, if they could depart, if, if they could count their privileged position as nothing, then so could we if we're not careful. And so help us to be a people, Lord, that love you. And if we're loving you, we're going to love your word. And if we're loving your word, we're going to be in your word. And if we're in your word, our faith is going to grow stronger. And if our faith is growing stronger, we're going to have hope, regardless of what may come, what we may see, what we may face, Lord Jesus. So teach us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began the second message now you might say yeah last week was the second message in malachi that's not what i mean we began the second message of malachi the first message of malachi was chapter one verses one through five that was the first message that message was to israel as a whole israel was questioning God's love for them, and so God addressed this, you know, he says, I, I, of course I loved you, and he, and he proves it, you know, there in the scripture. And then last week began the second message. The second message began in chapter 1, verse 6, and it ends, it will end in chapter 2, verse 9. So we will complete the second message that we find in the book of Malachi. And of course, as we saw last week, and we've just read that the message, the second message we find in Malachi was directed specifically to the priest. The priests were being rebuked. They were being rebuked by the Lord for their half-hearted, disrespectful, bored approach to the ministry that had been given to them. And so the Lord rebukes them. The Lord corrects them. Now, guys, when you read the scriptures, you know, it's, it's so important to recognize, you know, and I know we see it, but I, I hope we, we kind of camp on it there. Because we're reading, you know, prophet of Malachi, prophet of Isaiah, prophet of Jeremiah, prophet. And you say, yeah, this is what Jeremiah said. No, 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 no. This is what Malachi said. No, this is what the Lord of hosts said. 
So the Lord is speaking through the prophet, and he says, this is my message to you. I'm speaking to you. If I was speaking directly to you, if you could see my face, you'd die. So I'm speaking through my prophets. And as I'm speaking through my prophets, I want you to understand that this is my evaluation. This is my judgment. This is my rebuke. It's interesting. We saw it last week. We see it this week. That even though their approach to their God-given ministry was so disrespectful to the Lord, they were still seeking his blessing. Bless us, Lord. Bless us, Lord. You know, we're doing these things. I'm your priest, Lord, and, and you promised your priest a blessing. And bless us, Lord. Please bless us, Lord. The Lord had, we know from the scriptures, the Lord had specifically given instruction on how and what to offer to him and how and what not to offer to him. And it was very, very specific. And remember, the priests were the mediator. They were the ones standing between the people and God. They were the ones appointed by God to offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people because of their sin. You know, the offering was offered to cover their sin. It didn't take away their sin, but it did cover their sin until the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would come upon the scene. So it was important that they got this right, that they had the right approach, that they approached their ministry seriously with sincerity. It was also important because each one of these offerings was a foreshadow, was a picture of Christ and what he would accomplish. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 11. And so it says, and I will curse your blessing. I will curse your blessing. So what is that blessing that he's referring to? You don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to Aaron, remember Aaron, first priest, and you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them that them is the children of Israel. Remember the priests, no inheritance for them, no land for them. It said, I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work at the tabernacle of meeting, end of quote. So the Lord says to the priest, he says, no inheritance for you. You don't get a portion of the land, but I'm your inheritance. I'm going to take care of you. I want you to trust me. You know, as long as you're doing what you need to do, as long as the people are faithful to do what they're supposed to do, everything's going to flow. Everything's going to be taken care of. And of course, we, we saw, and as you go through the Old Testament, there were times when the priest... Many of them, they were farmers, you know, they had other occupations that they would do. They would come in, they would serve at their allotted time. And, and many times, uh, some of them were reluctant to, to leave their farms and to come in because, you know, the, the people weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And so they really didn't have the means, the resources to do their ministries. And so we saw that things began to break down early on excuse me, in the history of Israel, the priests were given a privileged position.
position. And yet they did not take their privileged position seriously. And we see this in verse 2. You did not take it to heart. You did not take it to heart. Now, you know, it'd be so easy to say, oh boy, those priests of Malachi's day, you know, how reckless they were, how half-hearted they were, how bored they were, uh, uh, you know, concerning the ministry of the Lord, you know, what a bunch of losers. But I'll tell you, if we do that, or whenever we are tempted to do that, we are missing the point. Because the point is, is that the word of God is like a mirror. Where as we read the word of God, it doesn't matter where we're reading the word of God. We need to look at it as a mirror, seeing our own reflection in the mirror. Because, you know, we as Christians have been given a privileged position. I mean, uh, let me just give you just a sampling of, of what I mean here. We're told that Christ is the head, but, but we are the body of Christ. So could you imagine a body without a head? He is the head. I mean, if you could have any head, wouldn't you want Christ to be the head? Christ is the head. We are his body. We are his representation on the earth, generation after generation of Christians on the earth. Jews aren't called the body of Christ. Christians are called the body of Christ. He is the bridegroom, but we're his bride. And, you know, you think, what a privileged position. You know, I, uh, Tracy and I, we just celebrated our 44th, well, we didn't really celebrate it because I was sick, but um, we had our 44th uh, wedding anniversary. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I still, at my age, you know, I, I, I see it as my responsibility to take care of my wife, to protect my wife. I would do anything, if, if any harm was coming toward her, I'd do anything to protect her from that harm. That's what, a, that's what a bridegroom does for his bride. How much more? Jesus. Um, Jesus is the vine. And we are the branches. Can you think of a more privileged position than being the branch connected to the vine? I mean, what a privileged position we hold. The Bible says that he is the shepherd, but that we are the sheep under his care. Again, I, boy, I, you know, I'm not offended by being compared in the scriptures to a dumb sheep. If, if he's my good shepherd, I don't care if I'm a dumb sheep. I, I, what a privileged position that is to have him. He is the cornerstone. This is, the, this is key to construction at that time. But we are the living stones. He, is, he has given us his Holy Spirit. And we have been born of the Spirit. Nate got a great book for uh, some of the, I guess all of the elders. Did you? Yep. Yeah. I hope the guys that receive those are reading them, uh, those, that book. It is excellent, 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 dealing with the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit and how vital the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, you know, to the believer. And how it's so sad that the church really, you know, kind of puts the Holy Spirit in the backdrop, almost like we don't need him, you know. And, uh, boy, it's, a, it's really a, 
a misunderstanding of what the scriptures teach. He is, he is Father God. You say, who is Jesus? Yeah. How? How, do you, how could you say that? Isaiah tells us that he's Father God. There's one God, hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. But we are sons and daughters of God. What a privileged position. A privileged position. Uh, any one of my kids could call me at any moment. If someone was to come down and say, uh, Dan, your son, your daughter, they're on the phone for you. I would leave the pulpit and I would go down and take the phone. Why? Because if they were to call during the middle of a study, something is seriously wrong. And as their father, I'm going to drop everything to, to go in and to minister to them, to help them, to do whatever I can for him. That's what a loving father does. And we have the privilege of being his sons and daughters. And he is the way to heaven and to the father. And we are present tense, seated with him in the heavenly places. So the, the point I guess I'm trying to make is that we need to be so careful that we do not take our privileged position in Christ for granted. Now look what it says in verse 3 of Malachi there. It says, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. I will rebuke your descendants. It, it is important to remember that the blessing upon the Levites was to be a perpetual blessing. It just continues. It continues generation after generation after generation. It was a perpetual blessing. But because of their laziness, this generation that we're reading about, their laziness, their unfaithful approach to ministry, their descendants would suffer rebuke. Now let me put a little caveat on that. If they continue in, this, in like manner. Uh, you know, listen, I don't believe it. I think it's bunk. I think it's an excuse. I, I, it's uh, this whole generational curse. It's not speaking of generational curse. That's bunk. Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible refutes that in Ezekiel chapter 18. Read it so that you know it. It's an excuse. I'm, I'm just a byproduct of generational. No, 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 no. Papa was bad, you be good and see God's blessing upon your life. God's not going to hold you accountable for what your father or your mother did or, or you know, ancestors in the past did. That's not the God of the Bible. And surely the priests that would be faithful to their calling, they would not be rebuked for their faithfulness, but they would be rebuked if they continued in the same pattern. And sadly, that's the not biblical generational curse, but that is the practical generational curse is because people don't break the pattern. They don't break the chain of parents that did not seek the Lord. Grandparents did not seek the Lord. Break the chain. Be obedient to the Lord and see what happens and see the blessing that comes upon your life. You know, I am so thankful by God's grace. You know, I, I look at my family tree on the Renner side, my dad's side, and uh, the men did not live long uh, and because the men lived hard. They drank hard. They were, they just, they just, you know, they just beat up their body. So it's really, it's not an amazing thing. It's not a mystery that they didn't live very long, you know. And uh, you had generation after generation after generation of being, 
you know, poor examples and men that don't seek the Lord and men that weren't men of integrity. And it just, but I'll tell you, you could break the chain. And by God's grace, I broke the chain by believing in Jesus. You believe in Jesus and say, I'm not going to repeat the same pattern that I saw in my father and all of his brothers, you know, and the generation behind. And you could just kind of back it up, break the chain, be obedient to the Lord. Anyway. They, they were, as they're being rebuked, the Lord is saying, listen, if this doesn't stop, it's going to affect the next generation. Because you're setting the example, the poor example, for the next generation. The Lord speaks in verse 3, the last part of verse 3, of spreading refuse on, on your faces. The refuse, the King James Bible says dung, the New Living Translation uses the word manure, but most likely it's speaking of the awful, the, the, the stuff that you would not offer to the Lord. So the waste. We know that the waste, if it was a whole burnt offering, then of course it would all be offered to the Lord. But many of the offerings, they would take out, they would remove different things. They would take that waste and they would burn that outside of the city. And so um, the Lord says that he's going to take this awful, this leftover, this waste, and he's going to rub it on your face. It's going to be a sign of your own shame. You're going to be wearing it on your own face, you know. And, and it really was something that should have got their attention. It's sad that the priest were careless. And it's sad because the priests were born, raised, trained for this ministry. No one else could do what they were called to do. Think of the responsibility there. It's not like a man could, could wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to go into the ministry. I think I'm going to become a priest. No. Are you born into the right family? Are you born into the right tribe? You can't do that. If you're not a Levite, you're not a Levite. If you're not from the right tribe, if you're not from the right group, you know, you can't become a priest. Remember, this is what got Saul into trouble. You know, he's, he's waiting for uh, uh, Samuel to come, you know, so that they can make the offering and all. And, and Saul, because he was concerned that the people, you know, their, their loyalty was, you know, being pulled away from him. And so because he was so concerned about his own reputation, he went ahead and offered the offering. And here comes Samuel shortly after he smells the, the smoke of the offers. And Saul, what are you doing? What in the world are you doing? Well, I, 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 Saul was, you know, excuse maker. And, and remember, he was rebuked severely for that. You have no legal i.e. law the law you have no right to make an offering like this and so they have this privileged position they were doing something that no one else can do and yet they got to a point where they began to resent the ministry that had been given to them how does this happen And I'll tell you how it happens. Gradually. Gradual 
decline. You know, guys, we're no different if we're not careful. Lord, I want to serve you, but uh, only when it's convenient. No calls after 8.30, please. Lord, I want to serve you, but, you know, we shouldn't even use the word serve because the word serve speaks of something that a servant does. And a servant is someone who recognizes that he or she belongs to someone else. I, I, I'm not my own. And a servant understands that they're at the beck and call of their master. And for us, our master, of course, is the Lord. And a servant recognizes, you know, Lord, I just want to be faithful to you. Whatever, whatever you want me to do, however, you know, wherever you want me to go, I just want to be faithful. And I, I, I pray that you would equip me so that I might do what I do in a way that brings glory and honor and respect that's due your name, Lord. Isn't that what we saw as we're reading through it? That Levi, he contrasts Levi with them. And he says, Levi, well, Levi, he honored my name. He feared my name. You know, the people came to him, and he spoke the truth to them. And he led many people from going astray. But not you. Not you. Not you. It's a gradual thing. One generation after another generation, slowly lowering the holy standard that God has given until eventually there's no standard at all. And that's what we have in the church today. The church, people in the church, Christians, we, we've been given a highly privileged position. And we have been blessed beyond measure. We have been blessed beyond measure. I was reading this morning, again, that book, and it was, the, the little chapter was, um, you know, what did Pentecost bring? And so he just laid out the changes that had taken place after Pentecost. And, um, and I thought, oh, Lord, you have blessed the church so abundantly. And if we don't stop and, and, and really consider how blessed we are as, as, a, as a people, but how so many in the church today have fallen away from sincere worship. You know, we're living in the last days. And we have people in our church that surely don't believe that we're living in the last days. And it's seen in their kind of uh, lack of enthusiasm, lack of zeal, lack of desire to, you know, pursue the things of God, just rather pursue the things of the world, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it always is amazing to me when, People, you know, and I'll hear it kind of through the rumor mill. I guess I have to be careful of that. But, you know, well, people, they don't like it when you talk about Bible prophecy or this, that, and the other. It depresses people. 
And I think, you know, I'm not going to stop talking about Bible prophecy because people are immature in their faith and they're so world-centered that what's breaking their heart is that Rome is burning <laughs> because their hope is in Rome rather than in, in, that, in that home where that place that the Lord has prepared a place for us, you know. So generation after generation, we're watching this in the church. Generation after generation, slowly lowering the standard of God's word handed down. Much of the church today is feelings-based rather than word-based. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, again, I want to be careful. I, I don't want to criticize other churches, but it's interesting. I, it just is interesting. You know, I'm an old guy. I've been here for a long time. And you just kind of watch. And there are certain churches uh, in our community, people come from these churches, and there is a type and I could almost, as talking to them and, and people that, you know, well, no, oh, that's so harsh. Oh, I don't think that Jesus meant that. I don't think that God meant that. I think we need to just love one another. And I'll say, you attended, fill in the blank. Yeah, how did you know? Because that's the emphasis. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help us, God. <laughs> it, is, it is a part of the truth. Others, they come and they have a low regard for the word of God, which is ironic that the names that people give their churches, you would think that the names would represent what they're about, but many times they don't. Low regard for the word of God. You talk to them for a little bit. Oh, you're from, how'd you know? Because we've had folks that have come and they kind of have the same low regard for the word of God that have been in that church for quite some time. It's, it's sad. It's sad. Guys, listen. It's not what we feel. It's what the word says. And so our hope, even as we see things going south, you know, we don't lose hope as others who have, you know, no hope. We look and we say, boy, Lord. And, and I'll tell you, the people that I hang out with, we talk about Jesus coming back all the time. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. I mean, we, we actually, we make our plans because that's what we should do. We, we make our plans. We don't, we don't say, um, you know, we're not making any plans because Jesus is coming back next week. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. So we make our plans. We, we keep moving forward. But there's this contingency in our own thinking that we think, well, you know, if the, if the Lord's, if we're not home in heaven, if we're home in heaven, who cares about the plans we made? Will, any, will anything even come close to that? Listen. I asked this question. I, I wrote this in my notes, so let me read it from my notes. And, and yet, the question is too little too late because we're already seeing the results of it. But the question is this. What is really at stake if this generation of the church does not uphold the biblical standard of the scriptures? And of course, the answer is the next generation. 
But what we're seeing is because of generations of the church before us that were not holding true to the word of God. Guys, I, you know, I, I, I know you know this. But let me read this. Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You know, I, I mean, it, it, things are not looking good. But you think of, you know, I can mention denominational names, you know, and we all kind of have an opinion very quickly. You know, you could say Methodists, and most of us would say, oh, liberals, you know. Uh, you know, Episcopalian, you know, uh, gay flags and gay pride flags and this type of things, you know. And you can kind of go through Presbyterian, you know, um, Baptist, you know, and you could just kind of, and we could even throw Calvary Chapel on, on the mix now because, you know, there's variations even within Calvary Chapel. And, and yet you look at these churches at their beginning, you look at the Methodist, and in fact, uh, Nate, remind me, is the author of that book, what's it, Chadwick? Yes, Samuel Chadwick. Samuel, Samuel Chadwick was a Methodist preacher. Yes. And, you know, the Methodists were known for their fiery preaching and for their, their um, you know, dependence upon the Spirit of God. You think of the Nazarenes. Did you know that the Nazarenes was kind of a Pentecostal church? You would never think that now. If you went to a Nazarene church, you, would have, you, you wouldn't connect the dots there at all. Um, we used to say for quite some time, you know, uh, people, Navy families, they would be transferring out, you know, and they'd say, well, what if there's not a Calvary Chapel? You know, we want to go to a place that teaches the word. And I would usually say, find a good Baptist church. You know, there's a lot of Baptist church that teach the word of God. Well, I, you know, I mean, it, there's this decline. There's a decline across the board. And I'll tell you, listen. You could say, blame it on the denominations. No, blame it on the individuals. you gotta, you got to start with them, because I'll tell you what. Remember a number of years ago, maybe it's been a decade or more, probably, but when there were pastors that were pulling out of the Methodist denomination because of what their denomination was standing for, as far as immorality. And there were, and I remember reading some articles, I think one of the pastors was out of San Jose, California, Pastorina, and he says, you know, it's, it, we're, we're pulling out. He says it's difficult because the denomination owns the building. They own everything. So as we pull out, we walk away, but we walk away with people. He said, we walk away with people who love and believe the word of God, and we're going to stand upon the word of God. And in the article, you know, the questions were asked, well, what makes your church different than kind of the majority of your denomination? And he says, because I have taught the word of God here. I have trained the people in the word of God. They appreciate the word of God. They were the ones, he said, the pastor said, they were the ones when they heard what our denomination was doing. They were the ones who said, pastor, what are we going to do about this? And I thought, praise the Lord, you know. Praise the Lord. He says, 
that my covenant with Levi may continue. The reason for the rebuke is so that there would be repentance. Now, rebuke, this is an, another thing. People don't like that word. That's an Old Testament word. Well, it's not an Old Testament word, but people don't like the word rebuke. It's too harsh, you know. Let's kind of keep it nice. And let me remind you of just a few things. The Church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What did they fall from? Having left their first love. Their first love was their love for Jesus. He says, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the Labasan represents the church. The church is represented by illumination. And he says, if you do not repent, I will remove your illumination. We've seen it with the Methodist. We're watching it right now with the Southern Baptist. Guys, pay attention to what's happening in the world. We're watching it with some of the Calvary chapels since the split of, of this movement. We're not a denomination, but this, you know, movement of churches. We're watching it. There's a decline. The illumination that once was there is no longer there. You know, God honors his word. I'll tell you, for some of the old timers that have been around for a long time, you know, there are things we, we're watching changes, and, and we've watched, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith, he loved the Word of God. He taught the Word of God passionately and simply, simply. And uh, the Lord blessed the work of, of you know, uh, uh, his teaching and everything. And, and it just expanded and went out. And, and, you know, and I think of how Calvary Chapel, and it's not like it was monies gathered from all the churches all of this came out of one pocket calvary chapel costa mesa one pocket we don't pay in to it's not a denomination calvary chapel we are independent you know i mean that's how the whole thing is set up each church is its own sovereign church you know but i think of how you know, Pastor Chuck and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. They wanted to start a Bible college, and so they they went up to the mountains in Lake Arrowhead and purchased a piece of property and started the Bible college at Twin Peaks, and uh, and began just planting churches. As, as there was no strategic plan, it was just as the Lord was moving upon the hearts of men, you know, calling them, sending them out. Churches began to go. Twin Peaks. Um, they wanted to go into Europe, and so, of course, they were doing missions in, throughout Europe and Russia, and, um, and they needed a Bible college, and so they bought a castle in Austria. Didn't they buy the I, I don't want to get derailed, but didn't they buy the castle in Austria because, oh no, they bought the, they bought the ex-Nazi thing in Hungary because the Hungar because the uh, people in Austria did not want the Russian students coming into Austria. Wasn't that the thing? And so the Hungarians had no problems with the Russian students coming in. 
you know, they opened up a Bible college in, in Brazil and Peru and different parts of the world. Then eventually they bought the uh, Hot Springs in Murrieta, California, and this beautiful campus. And, you know, uh, one of my girls and her family, Edward and the kids, they lived on campus uh, uh, there as he was on staff there at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And they lived there in the desert on the campus. And, and um, we have such fond memories. We'd have all of our pastor's conferences there. And just fond, fond memories. And, and uh, you know, just wonderful things. And we're watching all of that go away. Because they can't, they can't finance it. And I would suggest the reason they're having a hard time financing that is because they diverted, they have diverted from the word of God since Pastor Chuck went home to be with Jesus. And the Lord's blessing is not what it once was. And so, guys, this, this, this idea of having your lampstand removed, this is a, this is a reality, individually and, and as a church. Pergamos, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, repent. Repent from what? The doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them. So it's not everyone in the church, but there's those that hold to these doctrines with the sword of my mouth. The sword of your mouth? Yeah, the word of God. False doctrine is not a big deal in most churches today. It's embraced in most churches today. Church of Thyatira, Revelation chapter 2, verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her, that uh, Jezebel, that woman Jezebel, her into a sickbed, and those, so it's not all of them, but there's those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church. He's like, well, this sounds like what those Old Testament prophets were, were saying to Israel. How about this one, Sardis? Revelation 3.3, 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Repent from what? Repent from having a reputation only. Remember what Jesus says? You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And this is true for many churches. You know that Jesus coming as a thief is not supposed to be for those who are looking for him? I mean, that's what the word says. His coming is not like a thief for us. It's like a thief for those who are not looking for him. We're expecting him to come. So when he comes, we're, oh, we've been expecting you. His coming is not as a thief. But there are many churches and many Christians are not even looking for him. And you will know what hour, you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And I think of how there are many churches, their reputation is, is what matters to them. Their popularity is what matters to them more than anything else. Guys, we have watched the decline. We have watched the crumbling of a movement in the past few months. Hillsong. Multi-million dollar movement. I mean, this thing was 
you know, they would have Hillsong concerts and they would bring money in like, you know, the, the, the pop stars of today bring in. And we're watching it crumble. We're watching it fall apart. And of course, you know, now, you know, I, I, again, I don't know that, are, are any of you surprised you watch the documentary about Hillsong? And are any of you surprised when you see what Carl did and how he cheated on his wife and, and how they spent the money? And are, is anyone surprised? No one should be surprised by that because you look at the man and you say, this is not a man of God. This is not a man who ripely re represents the Lord. He's got this punk kid who is full of himself because of his popularity. And, and rather than mentoring him, you're drinking shots with him. You're contributing to his delinquency. I mean, what man or woman of God would do such a thing? It's absurd. But see, you know, it seemed like Mitty had no problem with that because, hey, it's big, it's powerful. Look at all the people that have come. Man, could you imagine that many people in New York City lining up hours before the venue, I mean, the church opens, you know, so that they could get in and get the good seats and the, the um, you know, reserved seats for the celebrities and all of that. Isn't that disgusting? Here's one more. Laodicea. Because you... Say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, blind, poor, blind, and naked. Let me remind you, because it doesn't sound like a church, but this is a church. Because this is the church that Jesus said, those I love, I rebuke. And this is a condition and this is the byproduct of lowering the bar. Generation after generation after generation. This doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I think of, you know, it, it sounds so old-fashioned now. But I remember policies as an assistant pastor, you know, twenty late 20s, at Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley, and we were told as leadership, I don't want to see you driving with a woman who's not your wife. Being called in when you were counseling that, that woman and then you walked her out to her car. Why did you walk her out to her car? Don't do that. See, I can, I can picture people saying, oh, that's ridiculous. But look at the adultery in the church and all the horrible things that have because there are no standards, no conditions, no concerns, no parameters whatsoever. It's old-fashioned. It's ridiculous. It doesn't matter. We're adults. I don't get it. I don't understand it when pastors go out to coffee with a woman that's not his wife. I don't get that. That's dangerous. I know I'm an old-fashioned guy, but I'll tell you what. Thank you, Lord, that you kept me from doing something horrible that would shame, that would break my wife's heart, devastate my children's faith, and destroy the church. And I pray that you'd continue to keep me. And that I want to get stupid in my old age, you know. 
He says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. Total commitment and obedience to God's ways leads to life and peace. Do you want life and peace? Be obedient to the Lord. You cannot say, you know, I'm going to dabble in this. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do ministry. And it's going to make up. This ministry is going to make up for all this disgusting stuff that I do. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. And expect the Lord to bless us. Because God will not be mocked. What a man sows that he will also reap. Speaking of verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth. The priest were to have a good influence upon the people of Israel. Do you know that if you're a Christian, that you're a priest? 1 Peter 2.4, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual offer, uh, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We must keep the truth of, of God's word, not just for ourselves, but for others. And if you're a parent, you are a priest. Your children are, are, are looking to you. They're, they're, they're saying, Mommy, Daddy, please don't be hypocrites. Be the real deal. I think sometimes, you know, Christian parents... They think that they're off duty when their kids move out. I mean, yeah, really? You're still their parent. You know, I, I, I think of this morning, I was um, got up and I grabbed my phone. I was drinking my coffee and I looked at my photos and you know my phone apple phone um it puts together these little videos of all the pictures we have does your phone do that my phone does that and it has little music to it and everything so i'm watching video after video after video of our family of my grandkids i'm looking at this i'm going wow this is like this is this doesn't even seem real this is my family. Lord, I can't believe how much you've blessed us. And thank you, Lord, that even through the difficult times, there is a closeness in our family that most people couldn't handle. I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, hey, don't get up in my face. No, no, we're getting up in your face because we're concerned for you. We love you. And we want to, you know, and we just, and we, we just, no, we don't do that, you know. But you know what I mean. We, we, we care for one another and we love one another. And I was, I was thinking, I watched a short little interview with the grandfather of the boy that killed all those children in Texas yesterday. And it was a short little video. And the kid was living with the grandparents because he got in a fight with his mother. And so they're interviewing the fellow. And I'm thinking, the poor guy, he's probably scared to death because he's standing in front of his home. And, and it would not, no one would be surprised if his house was burnt down tonight because simply because he's the grandfather of the guy who killed, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And so the reporter's asking him questions. 
And he said, uh, you know, no, I didn't know he had guns. I, I can't have guns in my house. I'm a, a felon, and I don't believe in that, and I'm not violent and this type of thing. And he just kind of trying to distance himself. You know, his own wife was shot by the kid, by his grandson. But as he's talking to the reporter, the reporter says, well, did you ever talk to him? Did you guys ever talk about things? And you can tell this guy, he's like this, you know, he's this older man. He's a grandfather. He's hardworking. He says, uh, I would take him to work with me sometimes. And when I would take him to work, you know, we would talk. Well, did he ever say anything? And the grandfather said, no, we, we never had conversations like back and forth like that. He would just simply say, you know, Papa, do you remember when I was a little boy and you would hold me and da 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 da? And he says, but we didn't we didn't talk like that. And as I was watching that video, I felt so bad for that grandfather. And I was so thankful at the same time for the interaction I have with my grandchildren. That we we talk on a a, a deeper level. You know, I'm, I'm with my kids, my grandkids. I have a deeper, like, conversational level with my grandchildren than I did with my own children, raising them, I think. And I, I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that I could speak into their lives biblical truth. Do you see that as a privilege? Grandpa, grandma, mom, dad. Are you off duty now that they're out of the house? Oh, shame on you. You should not be. You should pray fervently for them. Fervently for them. And once they come to faith in Christ, continue to pray fervently for them. You know, my prayers, my children, we pray for our oldest son. He's not where he needs to be. But we pray for him fervently, the whole family. We, we, we love our Josh, and we pray for Josh. But my kids, you know, they're, they're married. They're walking with the Lord and everything. But I'll tell you, there's not a day that goes by that we, we don't pray for their marriages. We don't pray for the protection of the kids. We don't pray for, you know, temptations that they might face or depression that they might go through. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. And the priests were supposed to set an example. Well, I've gone long. And so I, I, I want to end with this. I have a lot more to say, but I don't have time to say it. I just heard this today. I was listening to, in Philly, Philadelphia this week, there's a pastor's conference for Calvary pastors. And so I've been watching some of it online. And... One of the pastors, the pastor from Lynchburg, um, gave this information, and so I thought it was interesting. I thought it was pertinent to what we're looking at here. It was an a Arizona Christian college, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was done with Barna Group. So you know, Barna is the group that does the surveys on faith and that type of thing. So this Christian college with Barna Group surveyed 1,000 pastors to see if they had a biblical world view. So you know what a biblical worldview is? You think, you see things through a biblical, this is what the Bible teaches, this is how I live, this is how I see things, this is how I approach life. 
So a thousand pastors, and so they asked questions, of course, to, to see where they stood on these things, questions concerning morality, sin, um, you know, abortion, sexuality, things like this. So the survey concluded that 38% did not have a biblical worldview. 38% of the thousand that they surveyed. And then they broke it down into different categories. Some of this might seem strange to you because our church isn't like this. But they said only 41% of senior pastors have a, out of the survey, have a biblical worldview. 41%. Think of that. And then only 28% of assisting pastors have a biblical worldview out of those. So these are, and, and this is the danger. You know, a lot of the larger churches, you kind of hire people almost like a, you know, and, and they become hirelings. I'm so glad that, you know, we've always been a little church that haven't, we haven't had a lot of money and, and everything has been volunteer and, um, you, you know, and we want to see people grow and, and thrive and ministry. And we don't put limitations on people. But neither do we want to prop people up uh, prematurely. Only 13% of, and this is where it might get a little confusing, only 13% of teaching pastors have a biblical worldview. 13%. So, you know, out of uh, my in-laws, Nate, um, his father is a pastor in Minnesota. You guys know that. And then Keegan, so Molly's husband, our youngest, her father-in-law is a pastor in Modesto. So he used to be a pastor here on the island, and he's down in Modesto. And it's a larger church in Modesto, and Randy is the teaching pastor on staff so that because you're probably thinking teaching pastor why wouldn't a pastor teach the larger churches are kind of broken up like this so could you imagine being the teaching pastor and how how, (laughs) there's only 13 percent that have a biblical worldview listen to this only 12 percent of children's ministry out of those surveyed 12% have a biblical worldview. You know, we were always praying for our children's ministry and everything. You see, children's ministry, as most churches, we're dependent upon volunteers. Now, we have, you know, an application that we have our teachers fill out, and and we ask, um, you know, kind of the basic biblical, where do you stand on the Trinity, and what's your understanding of salvation, and these types of things. We have, we have that there so that we, we want to know that someone has an understanding, basic understanding of, of biblical doctrine. But you think of how many churches have teachers where the teachers... They're not in the word of God. They, maybe they have their curriculum and they put their curriculum together and they're teaching their Bible study to the children because what an easy group to teach. Stupid kids. <laughs> they don't know anything. But he does. And he does. And I just think, could you imagine 
being a Sunday school teacher, you don't have a biblical worldview. You just, I mean, this is just something I do. It's just kind of, you know, I enjoyed this on Sunday mornings and everything. Man, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Listen to this. Only 4% of executive pastors have a biblical worldview. According to, you say, what's an executive pastor? The larger churches, they hire a pastor that takes care of all the staff and everything else. So this is the guy <laughs> that's kind of keeping the ship afloat, you know, and he's dealing with the pastor. You need to do this new, and he doesn't have a biblical worldview? I mean, is it, is it surprising at all that we're seeing such a decline? If this is the leadership, and you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, man, leadership in churches, what a mess. Wait a minute. There's another survey. The other survey, only 9%, 9% of those who identify as born again have a biblical worldview. 9%. And only 7% of those surveyed who identify as Protestants have a biblical worldview. Guys, we need to be people of the word. You know, as you say, well, how do you get a biblical worldview? You're in the Bible. You're in the, the book. You're reading it. You're studying it. You believe it. You're, you're applying it. You're saying, this is the standard for my life. You know, guys, you say, well, boy, that's so complicated. I hope that I've got a biblical worldview. Listen, it's not something you have to work toward necessarily. If you're a believer and you're abiding in Christ and you're abiding in his word and his word is abiding in you, you have, you will have a biblical worldview. You just, and this is why, you know, from the world's perspective, they look and they say, all of you people think the same way. Now, of course, no one thinks the same way. All of us are different. But this unified mind, when it comes to biblical issues, should exist among every believer. You know, we can't, like we could debate. People could say, you know, well, I don't believe in uh, the pre-trib rapture. Oh, that's fine. I mean, it's not a salvation issue, you know. I think you're ripping yourself off because we're supposed to comfort one another with these words. But if you don't believe in that, that's fine. That's not a big issue. But if you were to say, listen, I have a different view on abortion. I think a woman has a right to, to choose what to do with her body. And I believe she does. I believe that a woman has a right to choose not to have sex before marriage so that there's no chance that she gets pregnant <laughs> and then has to deal with the pregnancy. I, I agree with that, you know. But you guys know what I mean. Guys, it's not all bad news, but it is serious news. And we need to be a people that recognize... Uh, the world in which we live in and we need to be a people that are in the word of God we love the word of God we're studying the word of God Jesus is coming back if you have loved ones that aren't saved I would get on the stick I would pray fervently for them I would go to the throne of God for them I would invade their lives with Christ. I wouldn't sit back and say, I don't want to offend. I don't want them to get angry with me. What's at stake? Eternity. I mean, if we believe this, 
That's what a biblical worldview thinks. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be men and women that are not like these priests in Malachi's day who are given such a privileged position, and yet they, oh, they didn't like it. It was nothing to them. I almost pictured them, you know, walking through the, 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 the temple courts, and they're, they're just bored, and they're yawning, and, you know, oh, I got to do this again, and, 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 and just this attitude of, you know, privilege, and God better come through, and he better bless me, rather than an excitement and a sense of honor. And joy in serving the Lord and saying, oh, Lord, what a blessing I have upon my life. We pray, Father, that we'd be grateful. We pray, Father, that our lives would be an expression of gratitude. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.